0: connect them. This is bowing and pattern and you might think, but why does he talk about bowing? <laughs> well, because I, uh, on this retreat, because we do some bowing, very little mind you, but we do some, nevertheless. And you might wonder, but they supposed to be very liberal, these two guys, one lady, one guy, and they really, you know, the far reaches of Buddhist uh, liberalism. And how come we've got this bowing? Or some people might think there is not enough bowing, that's another story. (laughs) And actually, personally, I mean, I'm very happy to bow. It has many different meanings for me. And so that's why both of us want to bring that element, which is very much part of the meditation hall in Korea, when they sit, Again in the morning they just do like us, just three bows, and in the evening again they do these three bows. And to me why I want to talk about them is because I think they're very meaningful, but actually in their symbolism they can actually remind us a lot about what is the practice about. Why, why, why are we sitting here? Why are we walking here together? What is mean? are we doing this for and first i like to look at what we offer we offer we lit the candle we offer the water and we lit the incense and each of these i have a little different interpretation than people. i have the korean interpretation which personally i found very lovely because in korea they've seen a symbol of awakening that actually the candle by itself. When you light the candle, what happens is actually as it illuminates itself and everything around it, it disappears. It consumes itself. In a way, it's a symbol of selflessness. For me, it's more than that. It's a symbol of what we are doing when we're sitting on the cushion when we're trying to meditate, when we're trying to be aware in our daily life, what we're actually trying to do is like the candle. Yes. That as the candle, in a way, dissolves, it's lit, it's bright. And actually it's the same for us. I think the meditation helps us to dissolve our fixity, our kind of solidness, where we really get stuck, where we really kind of get fixed. And then from there, in a way, there cannot be any illumination because often we cannot put ourselves in a very tight corner. And so the meditation is about that, dissolving the fixity, the solidity. And then in a way, we can be illuminated within ourselves. We can bring light to ourselves. And also we can be illuminated that we actually live. We are bright for everyone else. So that's what I find is beautiful about the candle. It lits itself and lits everything else. Can we, as we sit in meditation, can we see ourselves as this candle being lit? Then there is the incense. And the incense again, as it's lit and it bring this fragrance I must say, not for very long in our case, because I am allergic to it, but this is another story. Mm -hmm. Still, for a few seconds, it cannot be lit and it's fragrant. And as its fragrance it dissipates, again it dissolves. And what is interesting is that, again, out of that dissolving, then there is this spreading fragrance and to me it's a little of hopefully what happens in meditation when we sit, when we walk, when we are aware that slowly, softly, the criticism and the judgment disappear, dissolve because notice how we are when we are judging ourselves, others we close ourselves, we kind of in a way, we very tight and we not we really don't spread wide. Ooh, I don't like that one. Ooh, if only that person was not here. I mean, this is not very far spread and wide. When the the fragrance of the incense doesn't say, Ooh, I don't like it over there. I'm not going there. It spreads everywhere to everybody. Whatever, if they cough, if they don't cough, if they stand up or not or whatever, it reaches everybody. And to me this is that element in the meditation, that element of dissolving that tight, close judgment, the, the criticism, the own, the kind of in a way not giving space. What I think what the fragrance is doing is this space, reaching out in the whole space. And in a way seeing ourselves as we sit, as we sit in meditation, reaching out everyone, and we're making space for everyone, and then we offer water which is the water of life, but also it has two qualities I put it in this tiny bowl, and it just kind of in a way adapts to the bowl. it just takes the shape of the bowl. there is that flexibility, there is that softness and in a way for us to, as we meditate in a way, starting to feel a certain softening of ourselves. But also, what is interesting with the water is that it's reflective. It reflects whatever appears over it. But that reflection is, in a way, ephemeral, shimmering, not fixed and solid. We went in, uh, recently we were guiding a tour in India of the Buddhist site. And in India in many of the Buddhist places you have this big kind of pond of water, they're called tanks. And I went to find this nunnery in Lumbini, the birthplace place of the Buddha and there is lots of crazy temples and all the Buddhists are trying to kind of do one better over the other. And there is this kind of you know international nunnery. So off I go with a few other people and there was one nun but it was nice to meet this Nepalese nun and there was a tank and in this tank there was a Kichyak Buddha I had ever seen (laughs) it was fantastic and it was reflecting perfectly so of course I took a photo and then I put this photo in my photo album but Stephen said I keep it because I put it upside down because, in a way, I prefer the reflection to the hard concrete Kiki one. And it's exactly the same, the reflection totally reflects the Kichi Buddha. But it has this quality of being ethanol, of kind of, at any moment, it can shift and change, it shapes. And to me, this is a little what we're also doing through the meditative process of, in a way, shifting a little the way we are, of kind of, in a way, adapting there is a little more movement there is a little more, in a way, possibility at any moment that we can shift our shape in a way, inner shape, change. it can be that movement then I have to look at the three bows themselves so we do these three bows. And actually, each time, traditionally, we bowing to something or there is a certain idea for each of the bow. The first bow, in a way, we bowing to the Buddha. And for me, very much it is, there is, of course, part of paying respect to the historical figure, not so much the little statue here, but what it represents, the historical Buddha, and being in the footsteps Of the buddha in india is fascinating because you see all these indian people i mean there are thousands millions of them and you know you know the buddha was just like one of them he was just like that and in a way there you have the ordinariness of the buddha the buddha was just an ordinary indian person 2500 years ago And at that level he was very different from us, at another level he was just like us. Having a body, breathing, having thoughts, feelings, sensations, getting into trouble with his monks. Even after he was awakened, you know, sometimes the monks gave him trouble. One they were really quarrel, quarrelsome. And he said, Oh, too much bother, I am off and he went off by himself. So even, you know, he had trouble, (laughs) so he went to be quiet, far from them, and then they kind of felt bad about it, and they kind of improved. But the Buddha was just like us, he did not like it when everybody was making trouble, you know, he went off. (laughs) So in a way, I think to me when we bow to the Buddha, we're actually, to me it's a symbol, it's kind of reminding ourselves, appreciating, that he was a human being just like ourselves but also as we are appreciating, recognizing our own Buddha nature everyone in, in this room is a Buddha everybody here has the same Buddha nature that you have fantastic meditation or terrible meditation it's the same, you have the same amount of Buddha nature How much you express this is a different matter (laughs) but the bottom line is the same so in a way when we bow to the Buddha we bow into our potential we bow into our own awakening own wakefulness it's possibility in this moment then there is the, the Dharma the second bow is to the Dharma we bow into the Dharma and of course we are this is paying respect to the teaching not also to the evolution of the teaching who have come to us to this day. But for me it's also, as I bow to the Dharma, it's also an appreciation, a recognition that I too can walk this path, that I too cultivate this path. And it is very important that we don't see this teaching as some really dusty kind of forms or something really inaccessible, too kind of profound, as you sit here, as you walk here, as you wash the dishes, you are practicing the Dharma, you are cultivating the power. And actually as we walk together, because that's one thing I really felt being in India, we were really on the footsteps of the Buddha, you know, and we could see where he walked. He walked a lot, all the time. He walked from one place to the other, quite long distance and as I was reflecting on that I was thinking us too in a way as we walk here together we're doing the same as the Buddha we're walking we're walking here we're not going anywhere but actually we're walking in in the footsteps of the Buddha in the same way we're like kind of like Buddhas walking in this room and then there is the, the Sangha the third bow is to the Sangha To the community. In a way we say to the community who came before, to the community now, to the community we come later. So in a way all the people that have lived, cultivated the Dharma responded to the call of their Buddha nature and have brought the Dharma to us. And at the same time, I think when we do this vow, we pay respect, appreciating, recognising that we are relational beings and this is a little trouble of, in a way, a silent retreat is that we feel a little separate especially in the first two days left silent. silence but actually, why do you come on this retreat and not meditate at home? I don't think it's just because we are such great teachers I don't think that you came here to be with others you came here to sit with others because each of us needs a community each of us needs to, to sit, to, to walk, to do a retreat with other people so in, a way in that bar, you are basically bowing to everyone in this room, which is supporting each other just by being there, by sitting, by walking together so in order to see the bowing of that that when we bow, in a way, we have that connection with the Buddha nature, with the path, and with the community but as we sit in meditation here why is it, possibly, especially during the first two days, why is it that we did not feel the brilliance of this Buddha nature? why is it that we did not really feel we were walking in the footsteps of the Buddha or that we fully manifest this wisdom and compassion we all aspire to what is the problem or what is the difficulty I would say the first two days what we experience is pattern. they're very much there we might not see them as pattern but to me that's what goes on when we sit in meditation especially if we have not sat for some time and we have to sit, we have to find the posture and we have to kind of involve with the kind of awareness in a direct way then in a way it kind of, it takes time because we have this pattern we are so used to think a certain way, to feel a certain way, to sense a certain way and in a way sitting here goes a little against this kind of habituated pattern we create ourselves, which kind of fix us a little. And so personally I would say that meditation, especially meditation on a retreat, is an opportunity to encounter and to discover our pattern. What is it that happens? What is it that in a way seems to block me? What is it that seems to in a way be difficult? And I remember when I was in Korea one of the patterns that kind of uh, became quite clear to me as I was meditating is one day we were going to do, in Korea we sit 10 hours a day or 3 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night because we sit 50 minutes five zero instead of 35 like here but otherwise we do about the same and I was, you know, I would happily do my 10 hours, I mean a little pencil toward the end of the day but I could do it. But then we decided to do a five day non stop, no sleep practice. <laughs> and that was okay. I thought why not? You know, I was kind of young and full of energy, yeah, yeah I'm ready for this. But I had a problem. Is that I was afraid of the dark. And at night it's very dark in Korea and then the toilet was outside. So there was this moment at night. And I thought, how am I going to survive these five days in the night, going to the toilet? So I went to the master and I said, you know, we're going to do this, you know, I'm so afraid. What do you think I should do? And he said, go back to the question, which is what I'm going to bring tomorrow. What is this? Go back to, what is this? I thought, oh, this will be like a magical protection against anything bad out there. So I went, you know, I did the days and it was okay because, you know, generally what would happen is that I would go out to all the toilets and then ah, I would have this feeling, ah, you know, this fear, you know, and it's dark and there is this guy and he's with a knife and he's going to get me and, ah. So the feeling started to arise. What is this? What is this? What is this? And then I could go to the toilet back. And so the five day went and so I thought that the question protected me like a magic talisman. you know? Nobody could, nothing could get me. But actually not. Later I reflected and I realized in which way did this help me break the pattern? Is that actually by coming back to the question I was coming back to the moment and to me this is a very important element of the meditation that we lost in a pattern we lost in a feeling we lost in a thought but in a way by cultivating the concentration by coming back to the breath coming back to the question we come back to this moment and in this moment there is nobody out there with a knife because we are miles away from anywhere who would know me and want to get me anyway <laughs> but the thing about the meditation and I think this is a very essential element is that we concentrate, we focus on the breath we come back to the breath, we come back to the breath and by coming back to the breath we create space we create calmness but also space but they can be feelings, they can be thoughts, but they will not proliferate and exaggerate, because that's what happens with this pattern of fear. There will be the feeling, <gasps> then there would be the thought. I mean, I have the feeling, so there must be a reason for this feeling. There must be somebody out there going to get me. So first feeling, exaggeration of the feeling, then proliferation with the thought. And in a way that I think what happened with patterns, that there is this proliferation and exaggeration. Notice it as you see it. When you have a feeling, how very quickly we exaggerate it. And also how we proliferate with the thought. And how the two, in a way, kind of make each other greater. But by coming back to the breath, we actually bring space that there is no exaggeration. Oh, okay, feeling. Feeling? How is it? Is it a feeling of fear? How does it feel? Before even I, I say fear, how does it feel, this feeling? I'm just dealing with the feeling. Then in a way with the question, which I'll talk about tomorrow, what is this? Because this is, as I said at the beginning, we often don't question our thought. They're there, they're true, there is a guy with a knife, he's going to get me. Of course! I mean, if you think two minutes, there is no guy, there is no knife. That I have never had the experience in my life when I'm living. And so the question, what is this? actually brings you back to this the embodiment of the moment that in this moment you are standing in this monastery in the middle of nowhere going to the toilet this is it mm-hmm. nothing else is happening so in a way to see that what we are doing is very much this kind of in a way cultivate by cultivating the focusing of the kind of the the focusing, the concentration, and the being in the moment in a different way, that then we slowly dissolving the proliferation and the exaggeration. And for that, then in a way we can have the space, let our potential have its space to develop wisdom and compassion. Then there is another thing about patterns. And I think that's why you know, meditation and awareness is useful because often patterns are automatic. This is, there are patterns because it is very repetitive and because it's automatic. We go on automatic mode. And sometimes we don't see that actually we're doing something. Because it's kind of so fast. We go into the mode and it's kind of like you know we were blind to it. And I remember I had my uh, kind of, you know, this kind of moment early on in my meditation non-career. So I'd been in Korea, I think, for about a year, maybe. And we had guests, and foreign guests, and so I had to explain to them about Buddhism. And I have a lot of problem with lists, you know, Buddhist lists, the four of these, the ten of them, the five of these, I always forget one. So it was my early days and I was trying to explain the Four Noble Truths. So I could remember, yes, suffering, First Noble Truth, Second One, the cause of suffering, craving. Then I see monks taking my bucket of persimmon. Yeah. This is my bucket. <laughs> so I leave my guest, go to the monk and say, You can't take my bucket. This is my first human. I pick them. So, and... oh, uh, okay, okay, you can have to pick my first this this. mine. <laughs> then I go back to the guest. Oh yes, the statue. There's <laughs> a dissolution an of craving. <laughs> <laughs> and the eightfold path. And I was so pleased, I remembered. And then later there was another nun there, and the guest had gone and he said, Did you notice? I said, Not, is it? Not, is it? I remember the phone number truth. That was great, wasn't it? She said, No, no, did you notice? It? I said, What? You know you you well you did react a little strongly with the bucket of behemoth. And then I thought, oh <laughs> Yes, this was a bit weird especially in the middle of the phone number tour. The truth of craving in full action. But to me what was interesting is that I had not noticed it, I had been talking to them and it was fine and then suddenly contact, bucket, my bucket, you know, first you contact then you, you know, identification, that's where the patterns come from a lot, you know, you have the contact with something which acts as a trigger and then the grasping, the self-grasping, comes with, ah, my performance no way they're going to get them, these are our <laughs> there are so many of them anyway but, and it's interesting, this kind of, you know, mind and then this kind of going into automatic and in a way there is no place there for wisdom and compassion you just go on automatic and you're kind of blind to it and so in a way, I think that's what very much the meditation is about for us to be aware, to become more aware, to see, ah, I am doing this, oh, I am doing it this way, I have that feeling, I have that thought, I have that sensation. So actually the meditation is not to take us away, to take us to space out somewhere far away, but on the contrary, to kind of inhabit this moment as fully as we can, and to see knowing what is it? That stop me from in a way, being fully aware wise and compassionate and to see where we stick when we are blind when we react automatically so it's less automatic we're less blind and then we can encounter this in a more creative way that to me is very essential and so i would say in a way meditation is about that is about this radical acceptance radical acceptance about ourselves radical acceptance about others to so in a way to kind of be with this moment to kind of say yes this is what's going on this is the way I react this is this pattern, this is that but to see that they, we are not identical with our pattern this is thing important to see that actually the patterns are triggered by various different things, various mechanisms and to see what is it that triggers them how do they manifest, how are they? I think in a way this in the retreat, to be with that to be with those patterns, those mental patterns, emotional, physical patterns to see this not as an obstacle, if only I did not think this, if only I did not feel this, if only I did not have that, discomfort, then I could meditate. To me this this is not what it is about, it's more, okay, there is this thought, this feeling, this sensation. How can I be with it in a different way? How can I creatively engage with whatever arises in this moment? and in a way the meditation on the breath tomorrow the meditation on the questioning is to help us to be with the pattern in a different way so we have to be careful to think that the object the main object is to be with the breath and this is it if i am not with the breath then i'm a bad student not the breath is a tool. it's an anchor It's to help us to to develop that calmness, that spaciousness. And the questioning too will be the same, to help us to be grounded and also to be bright, to be alert, so that we can encounter the moment in a different way. So the meditation is not (coughs) apart from the experience, but to be more fully in the experience. Another thing, another pattern that we have, which personally I had, I don't know if you have it, or you know it a little, and this was about feeling special. <laughs> I thought from a very early age, I wanted to be special. My mother recently was telling Stephen, yeah, yeah, even 11 years old, she wanted to be special. You always wanted to be special. And I remember co worker saying one between, oh, you always want to be special. You know, and in a way, my life was a bit that way. I left home very early. I uh, was a hippie. I was, for 10 years, I was only French nun in Korea, among 60 million people, so that was very special. <laughs> very special. <laughs> and then I stopped being a nun and then, woo! you know that kind of, I went from being special to being nobody, this was very good this was an ex- excellent opportunity to kind of deal with this pattern of being special then I became a house cleaner and that was even kind of you know the ego went oh! the specialness went even further down which I think was very good too, good experiment and actually now I live in the village in France which is very ordinary and my mother is more known than I will ever be in that village. And there is no Buddhist in sight within 100 kilometers. And this is a very ordinary life. And I think this is wonderful. Like in a way for me the, the meditation, the path, has, has been to learn about being ordinary. You know, a radical acceptance of being ordinary. And I think we are ordinary in our humanness. Of course we are different and special in the condition, we have different conditions, all of us. But recently I had this in a way wonderful, what I would call ordinary moment. I was with my grandmother and uh, I mean she, she has since died but at that moment she was getting quite old and frail and she was 90 plus. And one of my things I did was that after, every afternoon I went to play with her. I went to play dominoes with her for about two hours. And this was in the autumn, and grandma's pattern is that she really hated leaves on the terrace. No leaves on the terrace. <laughs> so we were playing dominoes, and then she would get the look. So I would look. And there were a few leaves, and then she would want to get up, but I knew she could not get up properly, so I would get up and then I would sweep the leaves and come back to the domino. Ten minutes later, and look, <laughs> <Two leaves. laughs> So I would get up, sweep the leaves, back to the domino, and look. And the third time, I was standing there sweeping these three leaves. <laughs> experiencing there is nothing else to do and there is nothing else to be because I could see that you could have the thought often we want to do something heroic we want to do something special we want to to, I don't know and in that moment there is an amazing ease and peace of just doing that just whipping the leaves because it made grandma happier and she was still alive in this moment to in a way appreciate that and so in a way I think to me this is what also the meditation is about to notice this pattern of specialness that we might have in our daily lives which could be quite frustrating also this pattern of specialness in our meditation we want to be a special meditator, we want to be the meditated or whatever, you know, what we read in books, you know (laughs) and it's interesting, we want something, like the thing, we want something special to happen in meditation generally you sit there and you wait, (laughs) wait for something special to happen and possibly why it happens, once or twice, for a few seconds but the rest of the time, it won't be very special, it'll just be there. Breathing, thinking, feeling, trying, you, yes. you know, i must say after lunch, I was perhaps sitting, I was so, I was kind of worried, I wouldn't kind of not be, kind of woken up in time for the coffee. The I was quite sleepy after lunch. So in a way, whatever, whatever the condition are, we are with that in that moment. And this is also part of the meditation. So I would say, who is our good friend? It is this from Mars? Uh, that meditation, I would say, is about this degradation. But actually, we're not kind of, you know, sitting there waiting for something special to happen I mean, if it happens, fine, if not, fine but to me, the most important thing is that it is about grasping. it's about dissolving this kind of holding, this fixity, this kind of tightening which, in a way, is is what stops our Buddha nature from fully manifesting from our wisdom and compassion to fully be there and it's interesting to have those moments, when we sit and suddenly you feel, in that moment, a little of a dissolution of that fixity you feel spacious, and you think, wow, this is amazing! It's not amazing, it's just how we can feel if we're not so tight. Or when we're in daily life, we also have this moment, you listen to somebody fully present to them, and then you say something which is really wise you surprise yourself and you really benefit them and this is because in that moment you were not fixing to what you wanted to say, what you wanted to tell them or anything, you just open yourself to what they said there was that kind of meeting kind of <coughs> and that response that creative, engaged response and that's what we're trying to do we try in a way by cultivating the concentration and the inquiry to, in a way, all this holding, this tightening, this grasping that, in a way, stop us from being awakened, from being fully conscious, fully manifesting our potential for wisdom and compassion. So, in a way, when we kind of cultivate the concentration we're really cultivating the calm we're cultivating the spaciousness so this is what we're doing when we come back to the breath when tomorrow you'll come back to the question that's why we're doing that not because we have to be concentrated on the breath but to cultivate that spaciousness that calmness and over time it builds up so in a way from that calmness and spaciousness in a way come also that groundedness that you can be grounded within whatever comes around you the feeling, the thought, whatever encounter, contact. This is what this is about this focusing, this concentration, this trying to come back, to come back. And then also there is this aspect of meditation which is questioning, which is in a way inquiring, which is looking deeply. And this is very important because it brings alertness, energy to this process of de grasping. and you know for example with the breath I mean tomorrow we look at the question but with the breath we kind of watch the breath we watch the breath a lot but how do we feel about this breath we generally have this feeling I am breathing and then we kind of also have this kind of unconscious feeling I feel often I am breathing my air, mm-hmm. my own stuff, mm-hmm. you know? my yeah. private mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. this is mine. But actually, as you breathe, if you cannot ask, what is it, what is this air that I breathe in this moment? And you're breathing my air and I'm breathing your air. And so your stuff is going into my land and my stuff is going into your land and i know some of you might feel a little separate a little kind of isolated due to this kind of silence to the fact that we are not communicating but feel feel this air feel the air of others in your lungs. how more intimate can you be we're constantly sharing the same air we are constantly sharing the same life as we sit here. We cannot be closer than that. And so in a way to, be, to, to try with the meditation not to in a way remain in abstraction, but really reach out to this moment, what, is it, what does it encompass? What is in this moment? the fact that I am alive, there is a the fact that everyone is alive in this room. The fact that I am breathing, the fact that we breathe the same air. The fact that we all aspire to wisdom and to compassion. The fact that we all have to deal with our patterns in this moment. And so in a way, being with that, we're not just kind of... Um, we have to be careful in meditation not to be self-absorbed, we are focused but within this what I would call multi-faceted, multi-dimensional experience of us being with others, being in the world. And so never to forget that, that kind of connection, that dimension of being connected to everyone here which possibly we might feel more when we walk in together in this room. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.